Great. We are almost finished in our little series through this letter in the New Testament called Titus. And so next week is actually the last one. This is the penultimate message. So we're going to read together Titus chapter 3 and start together at verse 1 and finish at verse 8. This is God's word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, and to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, uh, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by uh, others, and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. All right. That was a pretty dense few verses. It's a little summary. And we'll think carefully about that um, in the next few minutes. Uh, The subject or or the theme that we're going to be looking at today is how people should act in the world. Um, And so first of all, we're going to see uh, how we should act in the world, number one. Number two, how we used to act in the world. Number three, we're going to see how God acted in the world. And thirdly and finally, we're going to see what is the, the motivation, the basis for our actions in the world. All right. So how we should act, how we used to act how God acted, and the basis of our ongoing actions in the world. Uh, just to set, set the scene a little bit, um, if you're joining us new and you, and you haven't um, heard any of this teaching, we're going through this letter. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, to um, a, a, a younger leader and minister called Titus. And Titus was uh, leading a bunch of churches in Crete, the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. You've maybe been there on your holidays. Um, and uh, these were uh, uh, groups of, of new believers, very, very new, weeks or months old in terms of their faith in Jesus and their understanding of, of the good news. And, uh, and Paul wrote this letter to address the, the big issues that Titus was facing and to give advice and to give teaching on how Titus should, should lead. So last week we were looking at the household. Um, churches in those days would have met in larger households. And uh, so we were looking at the, 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 the relationships within the household and within, therefore, the church. Um, and we've been seeing as we've been going through the letter of Titus, how important it is to get the truth straight and and then allow the truth to shape us. This is the big big idea. Get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape us. And so last week we saw that, uh, how that should affect our closest relationships in the church and at home. And so today then, as as you've probably gathered, Paul then moves the focus to a different sphere, a wider focus, if you like, um, to the world. How should we act as citizens in the world? Uh, we're a minority, says Paul to Titus. Christians are a minority. 
the government of, of Crete was, was under Roman control, Roman authority, um, not Christian by any stretch of the imagination, but yet we're called to be citizens. We're called to live in the world as believers in Jesus. So how should we act? Um, and of course, um, these believers in Jesus heard the message of Jesus. They'd, they'd accepted the message of Jesus. Um, they, 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 they are now living under a different set of values compared to the rest of the world. They have a different master who's in charge of their lives. They have a different king who's, who they are uh, submitting to, and his name is, is Jesus. It's not Caesar. So how do, how do they live? How do they live? Because they're now um, defined by a different set of values. And this is a very timely message for us, um, not only as a church, but us um, in, the, in, the, in the wider world. Um, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks in, 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 in the Crete, uh, in this island, uh, Cretan society, it was a pretty unruly place to be. Um, they had a reputation for being rebellious people in general, uh, being lazy, being drunkards, and all the trouble that comes from that, just living wild lives. And we've been picking up the clues as we've been going along. Uh, but Paul writes this section here to Titus to, to remind the believers, the brand new believers, how to act in the world. They have a responsibility, right, to, to, to act uh, in a way that honors Jesus. Um, even if that means swimming against the tide, going against the different currents. They've heard it before, apparently. That's why he starts by saying, remind them, in verse 1, remind them of what they already know. So what, what way should we act in the world, according to these first couple of verses here, verse 1 and 2. Well, he says, remind them uh, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Um, the, the, these are referring to people who have positions of power within uh, civic society, uh, whether that's politicians or, or lawmakers, uh, Roman delegates, and so forth. Paul, Paul is saying through Titus to the church, recognize their authority. Um, come under their authority. He doesn't spell it out why here, but in another letter he wrote uh, to a bunch of Christians in Rome, uh, the letter called Romans, Paul said, look, God's authority has been delegated. He's delegated his authority to, to governing authorities in the city or in the state. Um, the leaders of your, your city or your country or whatever they are, they've been appointed by God. That's what Paul says elsewhere. Uh, that, no, they're not perfect, of course, and they're certainly not the church. But they are one of God's means of exercising his order and his power over people in the world. So Paul says, well, we, we, you might not agree with your leaders. Uh, you might not even like them as people. Um, but it's important for us as believers in Jesus to recognize their God-given role uh, within society and to give ourselves to following their leadership. Of course, don't, don't forget the background here is a bunch of people in Crete who are rebellious, who are disrespectful. They need to be told, particularly the believers in Jesus, submit yourselves, give yourselves to those in positions of power and authority. That doesn't mean, by the way, if they're telling you to go off and do something evil, that you follow them. That's not what Paul is saying here. But in general, submit yourselves where uh, they are good and right laws for our good and the flourishing of all people. Give yourselves to your leaders. Submit yourselves, he says. Be obedient, he goes on. That means, that means keep, keep the law uh, in the world or in the city or in your society. Uh, he says, be ready then for every good work. 
as your role as a citizen in the world. Be ready for every good work. I mean, that means be poised, be prepared. Uh, be in a particular stance when you leave your house in the morning, ready to do good works. Um, rather like a sprinter preparing him or herself on the blocks. You know, you see it in the Olympics. And they're just about to fire off down the track and sprint 100 meters. They're ready. They're poised. They are waiting to that explosion of, 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 of energy. And in the same way, Paul is saying, look, as you are citizens in the world, be ready, be poised to do good works. Don't, don't you know, be looking for opportunities. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't drag your heels. Don't say, oh, no, I suppose I'd better go and help the person next door. Paul says, lead on the front foot when it comes to your good works. Be excellent citizens of the city where you live. He goes on, verse 2. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. He's, he's, he's moving the focus from our authorities and our leaders through to our general uh, interactions with one another in the world out there. Um, speak evil of no one, or in other words, in the flip side, only speak good of people. That might be hard for you. It's hard for me. Only speak good of people. Be positive. Be affirming. Um, that's, that's more difficult for, for some of you rather than others. Uh, some people naturally uh, you know, just seem positive and always seem to, to find it easy to say the right things. Others of us love getting into ding-dongs on Twitter or uh, wading into controversy somehow or other. But Paul says to the church, no. He says, you're, you're defined by a different set of values. Instead, we're to love peace. And we're to pull back from quarreling. Even if you don't start it and you find yourself in the middle of it, pull back. Tap out. He says, as believers in Jesus, express perfect courtesy. Don't just try and be courteous every now. Express perfect courtesy. Of course, this, this isn't just a random list of virtues that Paul has, has plucked out of the air and scribbled down just to fill up a few verses here. He, he, he knows that this is the greatest need for the Christians in Crete. That's why he addresses these things. He, he's saying to them, you need to stand out in society. You need to look different from other people. Christians must be all of these things in their city. As I mentioned a few moments ago, it's a timely message for us today, isn't it? Because as people, we've always had this tendency to, to be a bit grumbly and a bit slow um, to obey. And, you know, it's not often the first thing we want to do. But, but now I just think, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That in this current climate that we're in, uh, these things are heightened, right? Among us, even from us, uh, in terms of being so quick to react to the latest edict from uh, Stormont or Westminster or wherever it is. We're very quick to rebel. Um, unfiltered thoughts and words trip off of our tongues very easily and we're, we're straight onto Facebook and, and giving off, whether it's over Brexit or, or COVID or, or whether it's over politics, um, locally or nationally or even internationally. What's going on over in, in Washington, D.C. with the presidential elections? People, we all have strong opinions on everything, it seems, these days. And we take to the internet and, and we take to face-to-face uh, -face discussions uh, with hardness and with vitriol. Um, and as I mentioned a few times already, you know, uh, platforms for social media uh, just gives opportunities for us to vent so much more easily 
um, when it's anonymous and we're not really dealing face-to-face -face with people. It's very easy to, to demonize the opposition, whoever they may be, to rage against our leaders, whether we, we think they're evil or we think they're stupid or they're deceiving us and they're lying. Um, that may or may not be the case, but this is how we lead. Look, Paul is not calling Christians to sort of come out of the world and, and, and leave and go and find a little community on the hilltop somewhere and, and take ourselves away from what's going on down there. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying to us is how we live in the world as believers in Jesus should point to Jesus. It should point to the, the community that Jesus is, is setting up. And so how we speak and how we carry ourselves and how we act as citizens should favorably point to our savior, right? To our king. Um, that's why we say here at Foundation Church we're a community on mission. That's one of the things that it means for us to be together, mirroring, honoring Jesus in the way we interact in the world. So I wonder how you're doing on this particular topic. Uh, how, is, how is your talk if you were to go onto your uh, Facebook page or whatever social media you may or may not use and, and, and download your latest comments and the things you've looked at, and would it bring glory to Jesus? Or would it point away from him? Would it point towards anger and rage and dissent? Does your speech adorn the gospel? I'm not saying don't have opinions. It's good to have opinions, it's good for debate, but there's a certain way that we should go about that, loving peace, always ready to do good works. How are you doing? So how we should act in the world, we see that in verses 1 and 2. Just quickly then, I want to look at the second point then, um, how we used to act in the world. Um, I say quickly because um, uh, 4 to 7 is, is really the standout here. But anyway, um, how we used to act in the world. Yes, we're called to live distinct and virtuous lives. Yes, we're, we're to be like a counterculture, if you like. But if that's the only focus um, as, as believers in Jesus, if it's just living a good life of distinction that sticks out and that looks good from the outside, this alone can lead, if we're not careful, it can lead to pride and it can lead to a sense of superiority. If that's all our focus is, if it's just good moral living, if it's good works, um, then we have to be careful that we don't become proud and we don't look down at other people who don't do it like us and aren't as virtuous or good as we are. Um, and that's why Paul then uh, pops in verse 3. Um, because, let's face it, it's, it's possible to do good works, it's possible to be good living, and, and not doing that for God, we're doing that for ourselves. We're not doing it to make him look good, we're doing it to make us look good. We want people to think well of us. We want to look good in our community. We want other people to speak well of us. And so good works don't become truly good. They become a tool that we use to improve ourselves. And Paul says, no, that's, that's not how it should be. That's why Paul reminds us, and he gives us this bomb in verse 3. He says, for we ourselves including himself in this, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He says we as believers used to be like that. This is an ugly list. 
So he's saying, look, before we go and get all self-righteous and full of pride and become arrogant and start looking down or being snooty and patronizing people, before we do that, he says, remember what you used to be like before Jesus came. Remember, you used to be like this. There was a time when we were just like everyone else out there. Why is he saying this? Why does he put this in here? It's not, it's not so that we feel bad about our old sins and what, what we've done in the past, and he wants to keep reminding us. That's not, that's not it. But he's saying, look, good works, good living, beautiful lives on its own can produce arrogance and pride if that's all it is. And this is really, this is really important. Um, I don't want you to be misled, uh, particularly if you're investigating the faith or you're not sure uh, where you stand in regard to Jesus, then um, you have to know, and you have, may this verse strangely encourage you, right? Um, Christians are just ordinary people. Um, they're from an ordinary background, um, but they have been transformed by God. So, so Christians are not just nice religious people who've had easy lives. Paul makes it very clear here that, 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 that all of us in some way or other are ordinary, broken, sinful, messed up people. There, there's no difference there. So, so if you're looking at the faith from outside, please do not think that this isn't for you. Um, don't think that you are too sinful or too messed up or you've got a, got a history and therefore you can't come into the community of faith called the church. For we ourselves, he says in verse 3, we ourselves used to be like this. A Christian simply, according to Paul, is someone who sees and accepts the good news of what God has done and takes it into their hearts and allows it to do its work. That's the difference. So please don't, don't feel like an outsider. Um, don't feel like you don't fit because church, this church, church in general, but this church is to be a place of grace. Um, a place that shows off Jesus doesn't, doesn't point to us, it points to him. Uh, a place where the transforming power of God is at work in our ordinary lives, making us more like Jesus. This is what the church is. This is how we used to be in the world. Thirdly then, how God acted in the world, verses 4 through to 7. Um, this is important uh, because... As believers in Jesus, we don't just make a decision to be better people and to sort of turn a new leaf. Uh, that's not what this is. Verse 3 kind of leaves us in a bit of a depressing place, right? Uh, an ugly picture. And yet Paul, in verses 4 through 7, lays out the good news of the gospel of Jesus. If you're ever confused about what the gospel is or if you want to learn more about what the gospel is, please reflect, read verses 4 through 7. You've got it on your sheet. There's no excuse. Take it with you. Um, four through seven. We were in trouble, says Paul, but then God acted in the world. He did something. He entered in. Uh, God, the author of the story, wrote himself into the story. That's what he did. He came down, and we see that in verses four through seven. This is huge, and so in the time that we have, we're only going to be able to touch on some of these amazing uh, themes here. 
Um, but as we were saying last week, he begins by saying that God, our Savior, appeared. Right? That's the, uh, the epiphaneo. That's the Greek word for appearing, epiphany. He, he dramatically entered on the scene. But then this is it. This is the key word, phrase in all of this. God appeared. He saved us. That's the headline. Uh, and if you're reading this in the original Greek, that's the main controlling verb that affects the rest of the sentence. He entered it. He saved us. It's how God acted in the world. And he then goes on to underline this to be clear. He saved us, in verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. All right. uh, another Bible translation puts it like this. He saved us. It was all his doing. And we had nothing to do with it. Do you know what this means, folks? It means, this means that God chooses to show his grace and his favor and his love and his acceptance and his devotion over you because that's the kind of God he is. Because that's who he is. That's, that's why he does it. Those of you who are parents can relate to this. I don't love my daughter because she's done good things for me and won my love. Right? I love her because she's my daughter. I love her because I love her. And yet this love is a dim reflection of the kind of love that God has for his children. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us. It's the kind of God he is. And then how it's applied to us. So how does this grace that's appeared because of his mercy, how does this come to us? How is it applied by God? Well, he says there, um, later on, he says, um, by, this comes to us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's a bit of a mouthful. This is how it comes to you. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is what has happened to you. It comes to you by the Holy Spirit. And according to Paul here, the Holy Spirit comes to you personally, not to you as a clan or you as a family or you in a group. Yes, he does that, but to you personally, he comes and he gives you a good bath. He, he washes you. He, he gives you new life in place of death, spiritual death to spiritual life. The old is gone, the new is here. That's what regeneration means. Something that's dead has been brought back to life. That's what he does. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This ongoing, progressive, working into you the salvation that God has given you. Working out of you good works to, to, to do it for the glory of God. Going deeper in you, moving you further, growing you stronger. This is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is how it's applied to you. And he pours this out upon us not just in dribbles or in a little portion or a little bottle and once it's gone, it's gone. It says it pours it out through us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Begun at Pentecost, on the day when the church was born, so to speak, poured out the Holy Spirit abundantly, lavishly, and continually through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So God has appeared He has saved us 
through washing and renewal by the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus. And what is the result? He goes on in verse 7. He says we're being justified by grace and becoming heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, God's actions, his saving work, his grace, all upon you. He says you are righteous, you are justified, you're you're standing right before God. That's what this means. This is the result of his saving work, that you are considered to be perfect in his sight. Not only that, not only you're a friend and a child of God, but you're an heir of great things yet to come. You will inherit uh, great treasure uh, when Jesus returns in victory. That's what we were saying in the Apostles' Creed. He'll come again. There's so much there. Um, it's a sermon in and of itself. But who deserves this kind of treatment? Because if you read verse 3, we're foolish, we're stupid, we're rebellious, we're disobedient, we're chasing after our hormones. <laughs> but God came and saved us. None of us deserve this, right? Who, who loves someone who looks like verse 3? Well, the answer is God, a loving God. Um, I came across a, a brilliant interview that Bono um, gave. Bono is the lead singer of U2, for those of you. Um, well, everybody knows who Bono is, I suppose. Um, he gave an interview for a book um, that uh, was being written. And the, the uh, interviewer said, look, I, I think I'm beginning to understand religion because I've started to act and think like a father. What do you make of that? And Bonnie replies and says, yes, I think that's normal. It's a, it's a mind-blowing concept that, that God, who created the universe, might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. The interviewer says, I haven't heard you talk about that. Bonnie says, you see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You, you know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics... The physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite action. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe, says Bono. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace, to, to upend all of that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. You see, gr- grace defies logic and reason. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case, says Bono, is very good news because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. The interviewer says, I'd be interested to hear about that. Bono says, well, that's between me and God. But I would be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. I'd be in deep trouble. Don't excuse. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding on to grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Bono shows that he understands grace. Uh, He understands that it's not by works done in righteousness, to use Paul's words here. He says, I know who I am, and yet I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. See, this is how you receive. This is how you, you come under God's grace and stand under it. It is letting go of your own efforts to earn his love. And and when you look, as we are doing here, at what he has done for you and how Jesus came for you, how he entered into history for you, and you say, oh man, I need that. I need that because I'm just like verse 3. I want that. I trust that you did that for me. When you do that, you come under grace. 
God will come to you. The Holy Spirit washes you and renews you, gives you a good bath, and you go from death to life. That's faith, folks. Receiving and trusting in Jesus. So how God acted in the world, we've seen that. Uh, We've seen how we should act in the world. We've seen how we used to act in the world. And so thirdly and finally, we're going to ask ourselves then, what is the basis for our actions in the world? Uh, All along in in, in this study um, through the book of Titus, we've been uh, seeing how getting the truth straight and allowing the truth to shape us is what the Christian life is all about. In other words, the doctrine that we're learning, the teachings of the Christian faith, impacts our doxology. That is the way that we worship, the way we live in response to God. Um, and, and when we understand Jesus, and when we understand God's grace, like we've just been thinking, um, that will change us. That will evoke a, a response. It must do. Uh, otherwise, we haven't understood it. Um, so that's why Paul says in, in, in his last point here in verse 8, he says, this saying that we've just been saying here, verses 4 to 7, is trustworthy. You know, you can build your life on this. This is why he says, I want you to insist on these things, Titus. You know, this, 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 this doctrine, this, this understanding of God's saving work for you because of his love for you. Uh, build your life on that, he says. You can be certain this is sound, this is solid. You can stake your life on that. Get the truth straight. But here's why. He, says, he goes on and says, so that um, for those of us who believe in God, we will be careful to devote ourselves to good works, which is excellent and profitable. I just want to be super clear here in case you mishear what I'm saying, what Paul is saying. Good works, however you understand them, good works don't buy you God's grace. They can't. We've already seen that in verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness. But God's grace shows itself in your good works. Okay, So good works can't buy you God's grace, but God's grace shows itself through your good works. In other words, um, good works will flow from your life as defined by God's saving grace. Grace and works are connected, but the order is essential. Grace comes first, and then works flow from it. So it's not our moral living or our, uh, our giving to charity or our passion for a certain cause um, or, or saying your prayers or reading your Bible. All those things are good and right, but that's not what brings you into the favor of God. And Paul is saying that here. You can't buy grace with good works. Um, which is, let's face it, it's bad news for people who think that they can please God with their good works, right? Um, pulls the rug under, from under their feet. You can't do that. But it's also bad news for people who think that now I've got grace, I can just live as I please. I can do whatever because God has saved me. That's not true either. That's why we say here at Foundation Church that we are a community on mission. Uh, we talk about the grace of God. We, we, we feast on it. Um, we, we enjoy it, we sing about it, we talk about it, we, we build it into our lives. We do that together. That's the fabric of our community. But we're a community on mission. Um, and our mission is to show God's grace at work through our good works, um, through inviting others to come and join, come and see, come and worship with us, come and know God. That's why we planted Foundation Church, so that we can show the goodness of God here in East Belfast. That's why we're part of Advance Network, so that we can plant and strengthen others, and we can multiply our efforts to show the good news of God. So as we close, may I encourage you and challenge you, how are you 
devoting yourself to good works? How are you loving your neighbor? Um, How are you living a life flowing from a heart transformed by grace? Are you you showing perfect courtesy towards all people? Um, I know I'm not. This is an area that I need to work on with God's help. Are you ready for every good work like a sprinter, paused, ready to serve? Let's pray. And what we're going to do is just spend a few moments um, thinking about what we've just been reading and hearing um, over these next these last few minutes. Is there an area of your life that, that God is speaking to right now um, that only you know about? Let's, I can't, no one can read minds, so that's okay. But is there an area of your life right now that God is, is, is speaking to you, is, is addressing something within you? Um, maybe he wants you to believe a certain scripture that we've read today. Uh, maybe there's an area of your life that is not pleasing to him and he's saying, I love you and I want you to, I, I've got better for you. So a few moments of quiet reflection and then um, after a minute or two, there's opportunity for you. This is, if you want, you don't have to, but if you want, you can, you can pray out, you can, you can share either a word of encouragement, um, you can pray out, um, even just continue praying silently. It's completely up to you. There's no pressure either way. So let's have a few moments of silent uh, reflection, praying quietly, and then if you want to pray and you want to encourage us um, with a word, then, then you're, you're very free to do that.